Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured match number eight versus Tottenham Hotspur. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. How are you feeling? <laughs> Doing better, as, as are you, I think. I think it was a couple weeks ago you had gotten sick. Yes, that, but, I, but I, of course, meant is that there's nothing to make a, a, a man feel better than winning a derby. <laughs> it always helps. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we, we will get to that match. Uh, first, we have some follow-up from last week. Uh, firstly, I'd like to apologize. I, I hold myself to a very high standard when it comes to audio quality. And last week, I tried a different setup that uh, that didn't work. So won't be returning to that one. But anyways, um, I have queued up here for our next follow-up topic. We had talked about chance, and I had tried... <laughs> picking your brain to see if you could figure out one that I was talking about, because it seemed to me to be obvious without any other <laughs> guiding clues, and that was not the case. So I'm going to play you a clip that I recorded uh, while I was watching the first half last night, and you tell me if you can identify it, and I, I, I just watched the second half now. I can elaborate. I can kind of hum the melody that I'm hearing because the words are completely lost to me. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see if you can identify it from this. I, I can't, I can't make it out. Sorry. Okay, so folks, we are going to have to resort to me attempting to sing the melody that I think I can hear. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, what I'm hearing is something to the effect of it's like that same melody. I don't know what words are saying. There are words, but I mm -hmm. can't make them out. Hmm, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't recognize that unless it's just a twisted version of the Saliba song. But I don't think I don't think that's what's going on. No, no. <laughs> I know you know that one. I recognize that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a lifelong uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure fan. Uh, even my Saliba, just the Saliba chant. <laughs> so okay, uh, interesting. I will have to do some research on my own because now I'm really curious, and I'll have to. Get back to everyone. <laughs> I mean, mostly just because I can't, I can't make out what's in the record. Like I can hear there's something going on, okay. but I cannot, I cannot hear well enough to be able to say what it is. That's that's what it is. So when you said it was gotcha. about 25, 25 minutes into the game, yeah, it was. Yeah, when I took that, it was around twenty five, twenty eight into it. So okay, I will you have Peacock. <laughs> I yeah, I, I I do. I will make a note of that and listen to it later. Um, but yeah, and just yeah. tell it to you afterwards. We can we can pick that up later. Yeah, and if you if you were able to identify it, let me know. If not, then I will try and track it down. See what, see yeah. what I can find. So all right, all right. So to be further continued. Um, <laughs> next, uh, listening back to our discussion of players running out of touch, and I'm imagining scenarios in my head of people running the whole length of the field out of touch. Uh, I realized that, yeah, what, what I was describing was not really practical, and I, I succumbed to my instincts as an engineer. I'm just trying to find edge cases, like, uh, the rule is this, <laughs> but what about this? And yeah, no one would really do that, and I understand that now. So. Yeah, and that's, and, that's, and that's sort of a common thing. I mean, that's because it's not a bad instinct, because as soon, and you'll see this in any sport, as soon as there's a new rule passed, you, you can tell Every manager is out there saying to themselves, "Okay, what's the loophole here? How can I make this work? How can I make this work for me? What what can I what can I do now?" Um, right. 
I wonder if that happens in a microcosm within each match. Um, when we get to a Tottenham match, one thing that the announcers, the, the, the commentators were commenting on was that it seemed like the head referee's style changed after the half break. Like he hmm. reviewed his decisions and said, yeah, I should maybe be calling more things than I was previously calling and started handing out more cards. There was a lot of cards in the second <laughs> half. So yeah. I wonder if, uh, if the, but I guess what I was thinking is I wonder if players adapt to the refereeing style on any given match. If they see that certain people are getting away with things, maybe they try it more and they try pushing the limits too, perhaps. Oh, that's certainly true. What players will try to do early on is judge how the, how the referee's calling the game and very much will say to themselves, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, but I can't do that. Someone else got called that or I won't do that. So you, you will see a lot of that. Um, you know, in terms of it changing, I didn't notice a particular change in how the, the game was officiated. I actually thought, the referee did a really good job. I didn't. I didn't use those words during the game. I used much less positive ones. But I, I overall, I think actually he did a good <laughs> job. And I mean, but but for a rivalry game, especially for the kind of intensity that this game has, you need an experienced referee because the players will get worked up. They'll get excited, and oh, you, yeah. you need someone who can who can take who can help bring the temperature down. Uh, or and, and especially if they're able to do so, for a lot of referees, can I do this without? passing out a whole bunch of cards. Is there a way I can maintain the temperature without getting a lot of guys in trouble or guys getting sent off? And sometimes players deserve to get sure. sent off, as we'll talk about. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's not... Oh, you don't want to walk in with that. You want to make sure players have more or less deserved their sending off. Yeah, that makes sense. So, meanwhile, uh, today is Monday, October 3rd, as we record. Uh, yesterday, Sunday, October 2nd, I played in my second pickup soccer match. It was fun. I had fun again. I was playing keeper. Um, I am way more fully recovered one day later this time than I was a couple weeks ago. So, that <laughs> I was glad for that. I did get a knee injury. I kind of landed weird. I've never had a knee injury in my life before. So as, as you've said before, we, we are getting old. Um, and the, there are a couple other notable injuries. Um, I blocked one goal inadvertently from close range with my face. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> it may have been a minor concussion. It, it, it felt like it inside my head at the time. Um, I didn't lose consciousness or have any other signs, but just going by how it felt, it felt like brain matter hit the top of my head from a face impact. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, that's, you know, not every, not every concussion involves losing consciousness. A lot of them, they talk about some of the troubles exactly. a lot of guys. Most, yeah. Most actually don't. Yeah. And they actually, they talk about the trouble guys have is rarely a big one. It's a lot of little ones that kind of add up over time. Not that you should be too concerned, but you know. Yes. No, I'm. I'm not playing all the time. Yeah, but as a keeper, your job is to stop the ball by any means necessary. But generally, your face is not advisable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I realize it's a little late to say that, but just... <laughs> <laughs> Now the guy, the guy who kicked it, apologized profusely. Oh yeah, right, yeah, good yeah. To, to let him off the hook because I told him I signed up for this. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the other, the other most notable injury was uh, pursuant to our discussion last match. Uh, a player, unfortunately, from the other team, got hit where I don't believe there was a cup to protect him. Mm. Uh, so he was on the sidelines for a few minutes. I had to ice that. I got to ice that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that wasn't great. The worst injury I ever got wasn't really an injury in all, you know, in all the years of rec league was a couple times 
I, I took a ball right to the stomach and got the wind knocked out of me. Oh, that's the worst feeling. Yeah, it doesn't sound that serious, but you're th- like for about 10 seconds, you can't breathe. And it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, no, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, within within a couple of minutes, you're fine. But yeah, so it's, um, you know, as they say, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, that that's happened to me during gymnastics in school. Yeah. Yeah, no, no fun. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, I wanted to comment on and ask you in case you had any more info, I didn't get a close look at the jersey, but a player on the other team was wearing what I assumed at first to be an Arsenal practice jersey from some year. It was a white jersey. It had the Adidas like three stripes on each shoulder, and it said boldly on the front, Fly Emirates. And mm-hmm. so for a lot of the game uh, in the first half, I'd been waiting to, to talk to him during the half break, which turned out to be my recovery from the, the face in. <laughs> but um, I'd been waiting to ask him, oh, hey, so you're an Arsenal fan. But then when I did see him closer up and went to talk to him, I'd noticed, oh, wait a second. The shoulder, the crest on the, the chest, or not, not really shoulder, the crest on the shoulder of the jersey was not Arsenal. It was another team. So Emirates <laughs> apparently either now or in the past sponsored or sponsors other teams and other leagues, apparently. Is that, do you know about that? Yes, they, uh, you'll see that some of the bigger ones will sponsor several clubs. I believe they are, and in their case, the, the two I can think of off the top of my head are Real Madrid and AC Milan, uh, both of whom will wear white okay. shirts. So when you said a white shirt, my first thought was it was probably Real Madrid. Do you remember anything about the crest at all? No, but the guy spoke Spanish, so I'm thinking that's more likely than Italy. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's probably Real Madrid. Um, who typically wears yeah, white okay. is their is their general color. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, big ones will do a, a lot of a lot of businesses won't do that. But Emirates has a lot of money to throw around, and so yeah, they'll they'll sponsor. They've sponsored several clubs like that. So I think it's about time to move on to Premier League match number eight for Arsenal. Uh, this was against Tottenham at the Emirates Stadium. Final score, happily, three to one. It was a really good match. A lot of energy behind it. It was a blast to watch. Um, before we get into the details of the match, I was wondering, we talked a lot about Tottenham last time. We focused really on the name and the North London Derby. Uh, we didn't really talk about the the nature and perhaps origins of the rivalry between Tottenham, other than them both being big North London teams. Is there more to it than that? Uh, so there is. I mean, for starters, I, you know, it's we use the term derby, um, and a derby generally it can generally be used as as rivalry. That's sort of the way the English talk about a rivalry, and sometimes though it can be very general. You'll have a London derby, so Arsenal when they play Chelsea or Crystal Palace earlier this year. Those are London derbies. But but Arsenal and Tottenham are both in North London, uh, both sections in the same part of the city. Their stadiums are actually about four miles apart from each other, uh, which is which is impressive. I had to look this up. This comparison, if, if those of you who know New York City baseball, Yankee Stadium and City Field are about 10 miles apart from each other. Oh, wow. It feels like they would be closer, huh? Geographically, they are incredibly close to one another. Um, the, the, the rivalry itself, so we talked a little bit about Arsenal's history. They started south of the, of the Thames uh, at Woolwich in the, in the Royal Arsenal. In 1913, they moved to Highbury, their old stadium, which is uh, re- still close to where the Emirates is, but they moved to Highbury into North London. Tottenham resented this because this was 
you know, Arsenal was coming into their na- their neighborhood. This was their section. Um, and then it, things really pick up for two reasons. One, the two of them generally are, especially in the early 20th century and then going going forward, end up becoming two of the biggest clubs in London. Uh, Arsenal ends up probably becoming the biggest one and one of the first truly successful London-based clubs. A lot of the really prominent ones are in the northern industrial cities. Uh, but really the two of them are, are two of the most prominent, so there's a lot of uh, rivalry in that sense. But also, and this is a particularly interesting story, so in, in 1919, when the, the first division is sort of solidified, the football league, we said, goes back to the 1880s, but it, it, right after World War One is when they sort of solidify what it is. Um, there's a vote on determining who will get in. And Tottenham arguably was was in the division, arguably should have stayed, and they were voted out, essentially, in place of Arsenal, who was in, not only in the second division, but not even the best team in the second division. <laughs> um, oh, boy. There were... Yeah, so there was so so Tottenham has resented that a little bit, understand understandably so. I have to say, right? Yeah. Uh, since then, however, Arsenal Arsenal has never been relegated from the top division. Tottenham have been up and down, a little bit up and down. They've spent most of their their history in the top division, but um, yeah, they were back. Actually, I think looking up, I believe they were back in the next season. They won promotion right away. So okay. No, and it sounds like Arsenal worked really hard to stay in that division, like they had something to prove from the beginning. Uh, Certainly, I'm sure that's part of it. Um, And they've generally been very close to one another in the standings. The difference, of course, being that Arsenal typically will finish ahead of Tottenham. There is an unofficial fan holiday known as St. Totteringham's Day, (laughs) which is celebrated as the day that Arsenal uh, will as guaranteed to mathematically finish above Spurs in the league standings. Uh, it, it's sad to say that we have not we have not celebrated St. Totteringham's Day for several years now, but uh, you know, I, hope springs eternal. Uh, and we should point out since since the the establishment of the first division and the two of them being there, Arsenal has won the the first division of the Premier League thirteen times. Tottenham has won it twice. Arsenal's won the FA Cup fourteen wow. times. Tottenham has won it eight. Um, mind the gap, Spurs. <laughs> you had mentioned some interesting history uh, offline after we uh, finished uh, the episode proper last week. Um, tell me about the history of where titles have been won. By <laughs> oh, you were, I say, you have taught you well, you're goading this. Uh, so um, th- they talk about where the title's been won, of course, because it's a regular season. It's whenever you clinch the, the most points, whenever you're guaranteed to finish ahead of everybody else. So the title could be decided with several weeks to go in the season. In some cases, it usually is. Sometimes it comes down to the very end. Um in the history of Tottenham's old stadium, White Hart Lane, which closed just a couple of years ago when they rebuilt the, the brand spanking new one over top of it. But in the history of White Hart Lane, uh, Tottenham clinched the title at their home stadium one time. Arsenal has done it twice in Tottenham Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Including our, our most famous victory in 2004 when the, uh, the Invincibles, the team that went an entire season without losing a game, well, that we won that title in White Hart Lane. Yeah, it's, that's something. <laughs> so, so meanwhile, uh, getting back to the the match at hand that I just finished watching uh, twenty minutes ago as we record this, um, 
I watched the first half uh, last night. I watched the second half today. Any any notes? Anything unusual about uh, how you watched this time, or, or same same old? Uh, nope. It was it was six thirty in the morning, but a pretty robust crowd for six thirty because again, it's a it's it's a rivalry <laughs> game. This gets this gets gets the blood going. Quite a few people talking about how they actually didn't actually sleep the night before. They were up. Um, one of them saying, you know, he woke up early and was pacing around his, his house and his wife wondered what was going on. And he just said, I, I'm still thinking about our formation. Do I, how are we going to line up? And then she rolled her eyes. She rolled her wow. eyes and went back to bed, apparently. So. Boy, I, I can't say I definitely won't get to that point ever, but I, I hope I don't. <laughs> that was a little much. But again, you wouldn't do, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that for Burnley. We wouldn't do that for, for Bournemouth. But for Tottenham, you might do that. Sure. Sure. So one question kind of came from put together playing yesterday morning and then watching the first half uh, yesterday evening. Um, I noticed one time they passed the goalie. I forget or passed the ball. I forget if it was to Ramsdale or to the uh, to Tottenham's keeper. Um, they so a player on the same side passed it. The goalie dribbled it for a few minutes and not, not, not minutes, you know, for a few seconds and then picked it up. And I know we've talked before about not picking the ball up when passed to you by a teammate. This is something that my teammates uh, yesterday reminded me about. And I had to tell them, no, 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 I, I know. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder, but I, I got it now. But um, what, what is the guidance there? Once they have control of the ball, once they've dribbled it around a little bit and it's not directly a pass from their team, then they're able to pick it up because the ref didn't say anything. It's presumably okay. Um, I, don't, I don't recall that in particular. I don't, I don't, I, as far as I'm aware, you're not supposed to. You can only pick it up if it's sent back, if it's either uh, touched by the opposing team, of course, or if you, you can do it if they don't kick it back deliberately. So you'll see them head it back or even chest it back and the keeper picking it up. I don't believe you're allowed to do it by, mm-hmm. by, by kicking like that. I don't, I don't recall the, the play in question, so I can't say what happened there in particular, okay. but I don't. Uh, it's possible. Did he did he pick it up and like place it somewhere like uh, around the six yard box and then kick it? I can't say for sure. I don't think so. I don't remember okay. it that way. It wasn't contested. Okay, there weren't other there weren't members from the other team nearby. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't I mean, contentious, I, it, but it could it could be a case where um, there was actually a stoppage and so he picked up the ball to place it somewhere because it was actually a free kick because of offsides or or something or a foul or something like that. Um, but I, again, without okay. seeing the play, I didn't, I don't recall. That is definitely the kind of thing that would have gotten a lot of shouting, uh, during the game. So I don't recall anything like that, but it, I mean, it's possible we missed okay. it. Okay. When, when I, when I note particular things like that, I'll have to start jotting down timestamps to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. revisit and give you ahead of time so you can see what's going on. So well, I'll make a note of that for the future. So, so I definitely notice, and this is, I, I think I'm trying to remember which came first, me noticing it or the commentators pointing it out. I think I had noticed it before they said anything, or at least when they said something, I was like, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do notice that it was an immediate <laughs> recognition. But they were pointing out a difference in play styles between Tottenham. And one particular aspect of that that definitely seemed to put a lot of pressure on Arsenal, at least early on, while well, <laughs> it was still 11 v 11, was they, they have all these breakaways. There, there's a, a few massive breakaways where they were almost unopposed. There was maybe one other uh, Arsenal defenseman that was following them down. Um, and they had a, a, at least a couple near shot attempts, if not actual shot attempts, as a result of that. Um, 
what what contributes to that is is my question what what defines the play style that would contribute to someone to a team having more breakaways like that right so uh, what what you really saw there was 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 clearly tactical decisions on the part of both teams so uh, arsenal both of them were, clearly had plans coming in arsenal's plan was to come in uh was to maintain possession was to pass the ball around to look for opportunities to press high up the up the field uh, so to keep the ball in Tottenham's end, Tottenham was going always going to sit back, and I I I've I read and seen some tactical analysis that you know really sort of confirms this. I mean, they had sometimes where Packet had five men in the back line, they had as many at times as many as nine players in the box. The point there is to keep uh, Arsenal on the outside, not give them the space or the opportunity to get shots in the box or close on goal. Um, mm-hmm. What Tottenham is doing is they're sitting, it's called a low block. They're sitting deep in the box. And the idea is that when Arsenal makes a mistake or a turnover, that they will very quickly break the other way. And that's part of their game plan. They're, they're, the front line, they have uh, Harry Kane, uh, Hinman Song, and uh, in this case, Rich Arlison are all set to do that, to press forward and, and break the other way. And actually, I have to say, we should point out, we saw a lot of this a couple of weeks ago in the Manchester United game. United was playing a similar style and trying to do similar things. And, and that's how you saw their goals. They were able to, to counterattack the other way, stretch the defense. Mm-hmm. And, and Arsenal did a really good job uh, this weekend of getting back. You saw the defenders did a good job getting back and, and cutting off a lot of those opportunities. And you saw most of them didn't actually come to, to too many shots on goal. That, right. that Son was forced to hold up and pass backwards or, you know, that that Kane wasn't able to get the kind of service he's looking for. So they, you know, Arsenal in that case was much better prepared and much more disciplined in dealing with it. But in both cases, those are tactical decisions. Arsenal knows that's what Tottenham wants to do. But if they maintain possession, maintain the pressure, you know, then then Tottenham, you know, is is going to have to be sitting and waiting uh, for for an opportunity. And the question is, can they convert those chances? This season, they've been very good at it. Uh, but there's a certain risk to playing that way as well, as there is for Arsenal, that you start, you may give up more of those chances. Right. Um, I, I empathized with Tottenham's keeper at one point that uh, I think it, was, it must have been Arsenal's second goal when he had initially blocked it, but then didn't get possession of it. He didn't get his arms around it. And Jesus was able to just tap it in from right on the other side of a line. Um, that, that happened to me at least once or twice yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, Thanks. I certainly am. I certainly am not going to say I feel bad for him. Uh, that's you know, and, and you know, <laughs> and, and Hugo Lloris is is a, is a is a good keeper. I mean, to play at that level and for for a club in Tottenham's position is obviously pretty good. But he'll have a few moments like that. A few of those they call them howlers. Those sort of. Uh, those gaffes or those bounce, weird bounces. I, I think it's a really good moment for Arsenal. We talk about the the growth of the club. You know, I don't know that last year's team would have necessarily had somebody who was in position and aggressive enough to pounce on that ball. And so to have right. Gabriel Jesus, who I, has been just a, a – and I've heard this from other Arsenal fans. We knew he was good. He played at Manchester City. He scored against us a bunch of times. We knew he was good. But to see him and what he does for us offensively and that kind of relentlessness to press forward, to not to, to be in position to take advantage of that kind of, of gaff, uh, you know, speaks a lot to what he is and what he represents, uh, what he's able to do for the team. So it was a, that was a great goal in terms of the effort. And then, as it turns out, of course, was the winning goal. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, a couple. Yeah, a couple. Two. Yeah, three. Like really amazing goals. Like each one of them was wow. <laughs> Scared the dog a couple times. Uh, cheering. Yeah, we, that first goal, we, we talk about, you know, how you how do you deal with the fact that there's no room in the box? Well, one of the things you do is you take one you can do is take shots from distance. And in the case of party, yeah. you, you'll notice that shot comes one time. It's he, you know, in hockey, we call it a one timer. He doesn't stop and settle the ball and set it. The pass comes to him and he just swings his leg and goes for it. And he's had he's had a ton of those chances and he usually skies them into like row row seven. Like they just. They're not even close to the goal. Okay. So he hit that ball perfectly. That was a, as a brilliant finish for a guy who's yeah. desperate for that. And that's what you need to do. You're not going to get those close in chances in the box. So you have to really punch one in from distance, force them to come out and defend you. If you look, he's got tons of space around him because Tottenham keeps sitting back. And that's how you punish that is the hit from distance. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it, it was beautiful. I did not notice at the time that it was a, a one timer like that. Uh, that that's even more amazing. <laughs> that reminds me, actually, I did dig up to put into uh, the links for last week's episode. I did find a Thierry Henry compilation, and oh my word, he <laughs> does things that I never thought would be possible. <laughs> a score of great goals. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but not even just that. Yes, that, but also, I mean, the the one clip I saw of him, I don't know if this is something he did one time on a lark or if this is something he did regularly during gameplay, but running down the field, bouncing the ball on top of his foot, basically the inverse of dribbling a basketball with your hands, like literally dribbling the ball in the same manner on your foot with a soccer ball. It's that is insane, and he was in complete control of it the whole time. I've never seen that done. Oh yeah, I, I think that's a, that. That was not a common thing, but to, yeah, to be able to do that is he was he he was a special <laughs> player. Yeah. Um, so g- getting back to Tottenham, though, um, I hadn't noticed this in earlier matches this season. It's something I've seen in NFL games here. Or there, they had a whole bunch of shots of the field from an overhead bird's eye view perspective and one or two times from the reverse angle i could see the camera up in the air i was expecting to see a drone it looks like it may be using the same type of technology as the nfl where it's like on a two-dimensional wire system or something like that do you know anything about that was it just recently implemented is it what i thought with the wires I assume it's the wires because I'm pretty sure it operates functions sort of the same way like you're talking about the way the NFL does it where it's a camera that and, – and I know college games do it too where it runs along the wire. Um, I don't believe anyone's gotten to the point, and I don't know if this could be a league restriction or you know, it could be all sorts of area rules you know, wh- where you're having you know, ha- flying drones over the game. I don't know that we're, we're there yet for all kinds of reasons. Um, <laughs> You know, I but I, I believe that's a camera on a wire, and I think some of the times, and I'd have to see one, some of the replays. It has that sort of sense of like it's almost stationary somewhere and kind of spinning around and drifting toward where the play is. I think I think that's on a wire. Okay, yeah, it looked like that kind of camera. It definitely didn't look like a quadrocopter. So, so yeah, interesting. Um, but uh, so I noticed uh, that what I was paying I was paying attention to that red card and as before that he had I, I think it was before he had actually called out the red card when they were just showing the replay at first I don't remember if it came out immediately 
But, oh boy, that, that was a good call. That was a nasty downward like step on the back of Martinelli's leg with the, with the studs. That was, that was bad. Yeah, that is that is a text. I mean, you know, it's it, it, that is a textbook red card. I mean, we we've gotten Carter for that in the past. I I think the one argument you could make is that the you know we sort of talked about it before the referee had been somewhat lenient earlier in the game, and you know, for the first card of the game to be a straight red like that is is maybe a bit harsh. Right. But then you see the re, you see the replay. I mean, that's that's what red cards are for. Studs right down the leg. It's late. The ball's nowhere near him. Um, you know you. Yeah, that's that's what red cards are are for, and uh, you know, and you saw that that sort of ended the game pretty much right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so that leads me to a, a fun thought experiment I want to pose to you. So, if you could pick, so we had one of each in this game. Tottenham got a penalty called in their favor. And Arsenal had a red card called in their favor. If you could pick any one of those, and let's say that they both come at the time in the game that the red card did. Let's just to equalize it out because they were mm-hmm. in different parts of the game when each of those happened. But so let's say with half an hour left in the second half, you can pick a red card or a penalty kick, either in your favor. Which would you pick for Arsenal? So I, obviously, to a certain extent, I know this is kind of I, I know I'm going to dodge the question a little bit. But the, I, the obvious answer is it depends on the game state, where the game is, what's going on. But in the absence of any other information, you take the penalty because the penalty is an opportunity for a goal. Okay, and yeah. goals are so rare, so valuable, you know, to have that, you know, have that opportunity. Now, of course, you have to convert the penalty, which is not the easiest thing. But, you know, certainly you, you are in an incredibly advantageous position to score. You know, goals right. change games um, in a way that cards, even red cards, don't. So, yeah, in the absence of other information, um, I would I would take the penalty to add as for a a clear shot to to increase the, to you know get a goal. Yeah, I, I think I found myself when I was thinking about it leaning in that direction also. But yeah, it's it's the trade off between a nearly guaranteed single goal versus an advantage that would promote more goals for a longer period. So yeah, right. Uh, and 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 you'll see the and, and and cards change games too. Teams adapt their formations and adjust. If anything, you know, sometimes with a red card, you, you have to go into the low block. You have to be more defensive. But if the other team's going to be more aggressive, say you know, say you're down, you know, say you're you're up a goal, you know, having a you know the the red might not be terrible because you're going to be playing more defensively anyway. Um, whereas if you're mm-hmm. up a goal, maybe the other team getting a red card is if you're up a goal, maybe that's not so bad because now they have to try and score when you've got you, you you've got you're you're up a man. So you know there are there are arguments for both of them, but in the absence of other information, I think you have to go with the, with the penalty. I mean, ideally, of course, what you would do is a a red card offense in the box that leads to a penalty, obviously. Um, but <laughs> get both of them, sure. Yeah, the obvious answer is I want both of them. But yeah, I, you know, <laughs> in a vacuum, take the penalty, take the goal, or the the near almost goal. Right. So, uh, so any other uh, thoughts before we move on from uh, from this week's match? Um, I, I guess I'll throw the question back at you. Your your first true derby. How was it? <laughs> I could definitely tell it was intense. I mean, the, <laughs> they they show shots of the crowd, and 
you got half of them that are cheering and waving to the camera and the other half are doing the English equivalent of flipping it off. I don't know what that hand gesture is called. <laughs> the president screw gesture as I think of it. Uh, oh, oh, well, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a Spaceballs reference, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it was fun. It was uh, you could definitely tell that these teams were overall pretty evenly matched, and it was uh, it was a good good show. Excellent. So uh, so so moving on. Um, my my first uh, question that I wanted to ask you about this uh, general sport question: Why? add time to the end instead of doing what other sports do where you just stop the clock. And I, I think from what we've talked about before, it's just because it's, it's in the ref's discretion. It isn't necessarily a finite number of seconds and they don't want it to be exact. It's more about the feeling of it. But um, when, what types of things is he generally going to be compensating for between a goal being scored is one example of where there, there is time in between when it's scored and when they get back to playing. Obviously, if a player is injured or something, that's going to stop playing. That's probably the biggest thing I would imagine he's he's considering. But what what should I know about the uh, additional minutes they add on to each half? Well, so the first thing you really need to know is is that they have done studies on this, and there is no truly discernible connection between time actually lost in the in the game. And time added on at the end of the half. It is there is no correlate. There's they say there's a correlation. They are lying to you. There is no way those add up. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, it, theoretically, it's any time the the clock is running, and the clock is of course running constantly. But any time the ball is out of play, so you talk about after goals, if it goes out of bounds, any time the ball is out of play, that theoretically is being calculated in the referee's mind and will be added on right. as a general sense, and you'll hear it. You'll he- you won't he- see it on the broadcast because they don't really need to say it. But if you're in a stadium, what they'll tell you is there is a minimum of X minutes of stoppage time to be added. So you can theoretically huh. go beyond that, which you will for all kinds of reasons. But the referee is at that point wa- checking his watch to see, okay, so there's two minutes of stoppage time. Okay, we're going at least two minutes. Now, in most cases, especially in the first half, at two minutes, they'll blow the whistle. If it's a blowout game, like or even like the game we had this weekend, you know, by 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 the end of the game, stoppage time, everybody knew it was over. So usually, eh, okay, we, we made the time. We'll we'll call it. Um, the referee has discretion, though, and you will see if, if a team is in the middle of an offensive chance, especially if they're trailing by a goal or the game is tied, they will let that play out, uh, including including mm-hmm. if they have a set piece, a corner or a free kick, they'll let that play out even if you're beyond the stoppage time. Um, but, but yeah, there's, it's, it, it is a lot of feel. Uh, why it goes that way, like why don't they stop the clock? I suspect it has something to do with when all these were written, you had one referee keeping the time by himself, <laughs> and it was just too difficult to like stop and start your watch like that. Um, sure. So I suspect that's what it is. And, you know, it's just one of those, that's the way the game is developed, and that's just sort of the way it gets played there is and i feel i thought i heard this rule change just this year but actually if you watch american college soccer the clock does actually tick down it doesn't stop when the ball goes out of play though so it'll just tick down and then at the end of the half is the end of the half there's no stoppage time hmm. and that's just in as far as i know is just in u.s college soccer 
I think they did something similar in, in MLS, the American Soccer League, professional league, when they started it for like one year, everybody hated it. And so they went back to the, they did the system everybody else does, uh, count up 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And apparently if you are any, yeah. you are in the stadium, which you'll notice one thing, if you're in the stadium for a game, the clock will stop at 45 minutes and they will just announce how much time there is, but it's, there's no extra clock ticking up like you see on the TV. So you're kind of there tracking oh, okay. it yourself. Um, but you'll notice like if he says, if he says three minutes, once you hit three minutes and the game's still going on, everyone starts booing. Like they know how much time is left. They, <laughs> especially if they're winning, like they want the game to end. Huh. It's also interesting how that shapes the feel of the game where you have the referee's whistle ending each half instead of some big horn or buzzer in the stadium. That's that's it's an interesting difference in how it makes you feel watching it. It's a it's much it's much more we talk about like free flowing like, you know, there are they're not rules and guidelines. Right. Um, that actually reminds me of something else that I was thinking about as we head into our second uh, UEFA match this week. Um, are there any differences that players need to be aware of in the rules between different leagues? Anything that they need to keep in mind? Or even if a player, as we've been talking about transfers and things like that, that players need to be aware of as they move between leagues? Or is it all pretty much uniform internationally? But no, the, the laws of the game are the same, so the rules are different. What tends to be different, though, is the way the games are officiated. England, for example, is known mm-hmm. as being a very physical league, and that's one of the things players talk about when they transfer into England, is they talk about the physicality of the English game. Like a lot more, a, they'll let a lot more happen physically to players before they start calling fouls. And some leagues, like the Spanish league in hmm. particular, is very, it's, it's much more tactical, um, you know, so there's a, they, they you don't see a lot of the same hard fouls. And so Spanish players, when they transfer into to England, well, it, it's a much more physical environment and it gets, it gets worse as you go lower, you go to the lower divisions and they get, they get away with some stuff. You just think, how did, how is that allowed? And they just kind of, it's hey man, Hey, you know, get up, man. This is a man's game. Play, you know, there's, there really is a sense of, uh, there really is a sense that this is what, this is just how it's supposed to be. And if you don't like it, toughen up. Um, which is a very English way of thinking about things relative to, say, Germany or Italy or Spain. Um, right. And then, of course, the, you know, in terms of physical leagues, there's nothing quite like Scotland, which even the English are like, mm, Scotland should probably tone it down a little bit. That is a, the Scottish league is a rough and tumble. <laughs> okay. So, so last question I have down for today is, I believe it was probably when I was watching the All or Nothing Arsenal documentary, they had shown the Arsenal team getting on planes and not just when they took that trip to, I think it was Dubai or somewhere to, I forget where it was, but they took some retreat uh, during like a winter break or something. Um, but they'd shown them getting on the plane to matches. And I was thinking at the time, not really knowing about UEFA and realizing that they're actually playing all over Europe. And that's possibly what they were showing on the documentary, but do is there any stadium within England that is far enough that they would fly to it? Oh, that's an interesting one because they weren't they weren't in European competition last year, so they wouldn't have flown to the continent. Oh, okay. I don't think they flew to the continent. They, uh, they would have flown to the continent in most cases. There are there are stories where they'll take the train, but a lot of times they fly. I suppose they might have flown up to 
um, maybe a Newcastle, like somewhere in the north. Uh, it's possible they may have flown, depending on how the schedule worked out. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about the logistics of their travel. I assume it's not a very yeah. long flight. Um, right. It can't be. It can't be very. It's not it's certainly not that far. England is not that big, uh, so I don't. They weren't exactly, on the very long, yeah. but I don't. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and of course, as you I, you would have seen, they flew on a private jet, so they are they're not in business class. Let's just sure. <laughs> so it, you know, it's yeah. a different kind of flight experience. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to particularly, I, I, I assume it was, it was one of the matches up in the North. Um, so. Okay. That could be it. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, it was an exciting match and we're looking forward to this coming week. We have our first two match week in a while, so that'll be fun. It's uh versus, it was a team from Norway. Was it that they're going to be playing on Thursday? Yes, Thursday is uh, the Europa League, the second our second group stage game, even though it's the third day because of all the stuff with the, the Queen's funeral. Uh, Bodo yeah. Glimt, uh, which I forget which one of those is the town name, but uh, we're playing them at the Emirates, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, we don't have to worry about that right. until we go to Norway next Thursday. Uh, but then on uh, is it Saturday or Sunday is our next game. It's uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Arsenal is going to play liverpool which should be a very right. interesting game to see uh so so that'll be so that will be something this is a big week uh big week for us right the the uh the commentators were talking about arteta's strategy going against the the team that they're playing on thursday as far as who's going to be on the field knowing that just a few days later you have the match versus liverpool and it's uh it's interesting thinking about those types of decisions Right, I suspect you'll see a you'll see a lineup probably very similar to the one we saw in the Zurich game a couple of weeks ago. So you'll see players like Marquinhos, Pablo Vieira will start, and and the bigger names, Saka, Party, uh, Odegaard will, if they play at all, will come off the bench. Uh, Matt Turner, the the backup keeper, will play. So you'll you'll get a lot more of those. Right. Kind of okay. Yeah. Uh, fun. I'm looking forward to it. It was nice talking to you. Uh, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we always appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with your friends. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. North London is red. <laughs>